I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall. It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985, 1.18 a.m. And this is temporal experiment number one. It always gets you, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. It can't help but get you. Crispin Glover. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome, Andrew. Uh, thank you, Nathan, for uh, having us on for this very special preach. Yes, the fifth in the preach series. We started with Few Good Men, followed that with Election, then American Beauty, then Color Out of Space, and here we are at Back to the Future. We're what back with Back to the Future. What do you think the age range is on this just being an iconic part of your youth? What, like 19, if you're born like 1973 to 1989? That's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. I am of the mind that Back to the Future is timeless and can be appreciated by everyone. Oh, for sure. It's definitely worth being a part of everyone's childhood. But I just feel like for those of us in the age range of us on this podcast i feel like it was just that's just a part of your youth you were into deloreans for some weird fucking reason because of this movie <laughs> yeah uh, anytime you hit 88 miles an hour on your speedometer uh you noticed um you're driving at 88 miles an hour <laughs> just the rare times that you do you like for a split second you're like am i gonna go into the past and then <laughs> You well, know, yeah. if you just if if anybody were to just take a beat up license plate and spin it on its on its corner, you instantly know what it means. Well, I think what you're referring to is the cultural tentacles that Back to the Future possesses. Mm-hmm. Yes, gentlemen, um, Back to the Future is a big deal to Nathan, and it is my second selection out of the gate for this pre series because I just can't wait to do it. I, I told myself I would wait and I would prepare and I would, you know, do it properly, but I feel like I can do it properly right fucking now. So that's what we're doing. We're going to preach back to the future. Yeah. And thank you for actually pulling the real clips from them because you know the movie so well, you were just going to recite everything from memory. <laughs> yeah. For those that don't know, this is actually Nathan's favorite film of all time. Well, no, it's top five. I don't rank movies within my top five. It's just an elite group. Mm. Mm. They kind of shuffle, and sometimes they move forward, and sometimes they move backward. I don't feel it's necessary to rank. I mean, it probably violates Andrew's very existence not to give a one, two, three, four, five. No, no, it's fine. I <laughs> I don't have that problem at all. Okay. He's sitting um, there, like, bending his fingernails off, pressing against the door. <laughs> <laughs> but which one is number one? <laughs> no, no, it is. It is. It's too much. If as as soon as you've reached a point where you've seen like more than a thousand films, how can you do it? You've seen too many that you, you, are you rank them really one to a thousand. Too many that are really good. Specifically with reasons that. by genre, right? Firstly, <laughs> it would be you'd you'd do the noir, the noir set. We're not. Yeah, we're, we're not here to listen to you give a list of anything. He's <laughs> interns top one thousand. Okay, so segue. Um, 
It's not top five because I gushed over how well it executes. It achieved top five status organically. I have watched Back to the Future probably over a hundred times, and I know every single line in it, and it happened organically. I don't ever, I don't even think I decided it was top five. I think somebody told me, dude, you fucking love this movie, hey? And I was like, yes, yes, I'm George, George McFly. I'm your density. Andrew, do you yes. know when Back to the Future came out? Specifically what day? No. It came out on July 3rd, 1985, so it's also patriotic. So, uh, Daniel, please take note of that. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, bedded deep into yeah, Independence Day patriotism, of course, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, it actually holds the record for being... Um, the only blockbuster to stay at number one in the box office for three months straight. Hey, uh, grossed a worldwide box office of three hundred eighty-five million dollars, which, adjusting for inflation, is nine hundred thirty-one million. So close to a billion, close to a bill, adjusting for inflation, <laughs> close to a bill. So Back to the Future, we're talking like Endgame numbers for the eighties. Uh no, I think Endgame numbers were like two point seven billion. Mm. So, and of course, adjusted, of course, that's like five trillion. Which... More like, uh, I don't know, more like Jurassic World numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Those are still pretty high. Pretty, still pretty good, yeah. Uh, starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Crispin Glover, Thomas F. Wilson, and Leah Thompson. I don't think anybody else is worth mentioning necessarily. Mm. Uh, no. Who's, well, who's, who's, who's the girlfriend? Oh, right. Uh, yeah, the original Jennifer was played by Claudia Wells. She did not return to the role for the sequels because her mother had cancer and she stepped away. <laughs> Selfish. Elizabeth Shue took over. Good old Shue. Good old good old Shue. Good old cocktail Shue. And Karate Kid, actually, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a whole bunch of shit. And actually, Ralph Macchio was considered for the role of Marty McFly, but he turned it down. Thank goodness. LaRusso, why? I know. I know. <laughs> I know, the whole Cobra Kai thing. It's like, oh, we're revisiting. Um, the other thing to maybe, I guess the only other actor to maybe mention is Strickland. I think Strickland's hilarious. Oh, yes, yeah. Principal Strickland is great. Yeah. James Tolkien. And this is actually Billy Zane's first ever role in a movie, and he doesn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't say anything until number two. But we're not here to celebrate the whole trilogy because there's there's issues with two and three. Two and three are not in my top five. Um I used to say that the trilogy was in my top five because it's hard to disconnect them from each other. But in preparing for this, I realized the weaknesses of two and three pretty egregiously, and I don't want to talk about them as much anymore. That's fine. I mean, we can acknowledge that two and three are weaker, definitely, than the original. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're not as great going back to revisit them as when we saw them when we were kids. But I still feel like as far as trilogies go, Back to the Future is pretty solid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Like, you're not going to... You know, you don't frown no. when two or three comes on TV. No, but I'm hypersensitive to Back to the Future. So in this recent research session, there was a lot of the... Uh, I just kind of realized how much in number two they use those fucking walkie-talkies. <laughs> like, Doc, come in. Doc, come in. Marty, come in. Over. It's like, Jesus, guys. A little much, you know? But whatever. Every time it's Doc, he's just like, 1.2, 1 gigawatts. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing else to mention, I think, about the release date is that it's interesting that 
as of its release, if you think about it, July 3rd, 1985, the events of the movie haven't happened yet. It's not October 26, 1985. It's July. That's right. So it stayed in theaters for a long time. It stayed in theaters till 1986. So it was like it came out, it was talking about October and was so successful that people got to go to it when it caught up to itself. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. That's kind of cool. And according to Bob Gale, on October 26, 1985, a group of people showed up at the mall used in the film to film Twin Pines Mall slash One Pine Mall to see if Marty would arrive in the DeLorean. <laughs> people are fucking stupid. Michael J. Fox just like walks out in his like trailer robe, smoking a cigarette. Like, are you guys fucking idiots? <laughs> All right. So, I mean, we have kind of a loose format to preach. And I guys, guys, I'm, I'm going to be insufferable tonight. I apologize. But you guys know that I am into Back to the Future quite heavily. So hopefully you'll just um, deal with my nonsense. Well, I assumed instead of like clipping clips from the movie that you just have the whole thing on standby and you'll just <laughs> run through the whole thing. Uh, it will be a semi walkthrough, but it'll be more of a commentary Q&A mm. while, while the walkthrough is happening. So I'm going to jump into the formality of some of the awards stuff and I'm hoping Andrew has looked at something and has respect for my preach. Well, <laughs> did you know that mm. Back to the Future is an Academy Award winner? Yes, it is. Yeah. What did it win for? It won for Best Effects Sound Effects Editing, uh, which seems like a combo of awards well, in one. You, should we play some kind of clip that demonstrates the sound editing that this movie won an Academy yes. Award for? Okay, let's go. Silence, Earthling! My name is Darth Vader. I am an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah. It was also nominated for a few other things. What was it nominated um, for? It was nominated for Best Writing uh, Screenplay, written directly for the screen, uh-huh. uh, which was uh, Zemeckis as part of that. Uh, best Sound and Best Music Original Song. And I think you're going to talk about the controversy with The Power of Love. Are you not? Uh, I'll touch on a few items here. I'll say that it lost original screenplay to Witness, and the Back to the Future script was rejected 44 times before it was finally greenlit, and that the University of Southern Southern California, USC, their film school's writing class uses the screenplay for Back to the Future as the model of, quote-unquote, the perfect screenplay. Isn't it always that way? Anytime somebody breaks through with, like, a new... (laughs) Like, this will be the new textbook style. All the previous people are like, get that shit out of here. That is garbage. <laughs> and then cut to just this exact scenario where they, like, herald it as uh, as perfection. Well, I think it's like a double-edged sword. It's, it's like, oh, wow, why did Back to the Future get rejected 44 times before it was finally greenlit? Well, A, Spielberg became involved as Zemeckis' backer. That finally got it done. It had very little to do with the screenplay, like finally becoming worthy. But that being said, the script did go through a lot of reiterations. And if you read about some of the things it was trying to do initially, it would not have been the perfect screenplay in the first 20. So it benefited from being rejected. And the other thing is um, the original song that you were mentioning, Andrew. Uh, I'm actually like not super offended at what won over it? Do you know what won over it? No. Uh, that's our good old boy Lionel. <laughs> <laughs> 
Was that from? Uh, it's from a movie called White Heat about male oh. ballerina dancers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Classic. Classic. But if I were to put on my cinephile glasses and take into account that Back to the Future was an adventure comedy sci-fi and had no real shot at major nominations, I can really only bitch about one snub at the Oscars. And what is that snub, Andrew? Uh, the snub. I don't directing. I said it had no real shot at major nominations. Oh, oh, I don't know then. Uh, sound editing. <laughs> it won the Oscar for sound editing. Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's like you guys sound, do- sound mixing. <laughs> Original score, not even nominated. Score. You know, like like the famous fucking shit that I learned to. I figured out how to play on the piano, that shit. Yeah. Out of Africa won over Silverado Witness, Agnes of God, and the color purple. The Back to the Future theme music has stood the test of time. It should have been nominated. It should have won. This is yet another reason why the Oscars are horseshit and should be endlessly and harshly criticized. Andrew, your your response, Andrew. Sure. Fun fact, Alan Silvestri's score, you probably didn't notice this, doesn't begin until 18 minutes into the movie when the DeLorean appears. Because the DeLorean is the movie. No, it just doesn't. It's the most important it's interesting. thing. It's just interesting that it doesn't show up. Side note, costumes and production design for the 50s in Back to the Future is amazing. Should have been noticed. Yeah. It does, uh, it does have a good was... time period piece to it, yeah. Yeah. It was good. Some of the costumes in the 50s are great. Uh, Cars, too. Yeah. The whole, like, yeah. actually, the set design probably. Mm-hmm. You yeah. could go as far as Thank you. saying set design yeah. would be a missed nom. Exactly. But you're right about the score because it is. It is like you could hear just like three little beats from it and you instantly know what it is. Just like the, the, the Jaws <clears throat> sound effect or the Halloween theme music. Like it's that mm-hmm. that level of iconic where almost everyone knows it even if they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Well, you make the mistake of looking back at the Oscars history, at least I did. And thinking that, you know, those ones were all good and only the recent ones are uh, controversial. But they're all controversial. That's right. The Academy's always been shit. Yeah, it's always been garbage. Even when they were all white and it was okay. Well, the good old days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bad of the Future is number 36 on the IMDb Top 250 with an average rating of 8.5 out of over 10 million votes. Andrew, would you like to know where Alien is? No. After Back to the... Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Number seven. Yeah. For for the audience here, uh, Andrew recently chose Alien over Back <laughs> to the Future in a pick, pick a movie from a column scenario. There, the only reason that that happened is that if I am choosing between two sci-fi films, I am choosing the non-comedy you're choosing the one in space you always go space (laughs) space yeah space is important all right 4.2 out of 5 on letterboxd average 96 percent critic 94 percent audience on rotten tomatoes there are only three there are only three count them three rotten reviews and they will not be discussed on this podcast. Oh, I thought mm-hmm. you were going to read them verbatim. I only have one thing to say to the critics who submitted them. So why don't you make like a tree 
and get out of here. <laughs> Fun fact. Make Like a Tree and Get Out of Here was improvised by Thomas Wilson. Man doesn't get the credit he deserves. He doesn't. Yeah, he's awesome. I don't think this movie passes the Bechdel test. It's always about Marty and George. Lorraine has some friends, but the only thing you hear her saying to them is that Calvin, a.k.a. Marty, is either a dreamboat or he's a dream. He's a dream. Isn't he a dreamboat? Oh my God, he's a dream. But in that in the 2018 interview, Leah Thompson said when she was a young actress starting out in Hollywood, a very famous agent assessed her options for her. She told me, here's your career, Leah. Virgins, whores and mothers. (laughs) Wow. And then she realized absolutely right. She realized why Back to the Future is such a great part because she got to play a virgin, a whore and a mother all in the same movie. Oh, that's got to be like a Bechtel exception. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was really funny. I will read a few comments that I saw on the internet that I that I really enjoyed, though. Uh, one of the few perfect films that truly deserves the pedestal it rests on. Agree. Perfectly. <laughs> uh, probably the most carefully scripted blockbuster in Hollywood history. Well, 44 Rejections will do that. To put it bluntly, if you don't like Back to the Future, it's difficult to believe that you like films at all. True. True, yeah. (laughs) Um, When they all shout, shit! And then shit gets dumped on them? That's cinema. Five out of five. Perfect. (laughs) I hate manure. <laughs> I hate, hey, that's number three. <laughs> I I got one for you here. Yeah. Nate. Okay. It says it says uh, so structurally perfect that it may have eventually ruined movies. <laughs> oh, wait, here I got I got one too. Uh, if Back to the Future had a dick, I'd suck it. <laughs> <laughs> you just hey hey you just came up with that yourself. Yeah, the story is so well constructed, especially dealing with time travel, and that's the point. That's the point, Andrew, Daniel. The focus is the story, and the time travel is merely the vehicle, literally the vehicle in this case. I have a question for you, Nathan. Uh, yes, please proceed, Andrew. How old is Einstein? Einstein? The mm. dog? Yeah, the dog. And uh, I don't know. is that Einstein when he goes back 30 years previous? No, that's Copernicus. Copernicus, okay. Okay, that clears everything up. Thanks. Copernicus! Come here, boy! Okay. Uh, And finally, I found this comment which repeats something I had already wrote on the prep sheet before I read the comment. And I'll be returning to it several times. They simply said, there is no wasted scenes. Which is something I feel strongly about with Back to the Future. Every scene has a purpose, and every scene is executed, in some cases, incredibly well, and in other cases, to a satisfying degree. Yeah, no, the editing is is for sure toy. And the movie is so magical to me that I am just going with the obvious for the names of the three acts. The Pledge, The Turn, and The Prestige. (laughs) (laughs) So as mentioned, I will be running a sort of walkthrough Q&A with some commentary and preach clips and scenes as we go. So if there's no objections, shall I dive in? Dive in. To the preach. Of Back to the Future. 
how far you're going. About 30 years. All right, so the pledge moves quickly, gentlemen. They actually set the stage for everything that needs to be addressed and overlapped. Uh, I don't even know, like within 20 minutes. It's pretty ridiculous. You know, it was fascinating watching this. Uh, just like the actual intro where they talk about the stolen plutonium and the Libyans and all that and the news broad- broadcasts. And then you see the plutonium mm-hmm. with the skateboard. Everything ties together so nicely in mm-hmm. such a short period where you get just uh, enveloped instantly into the story. However, the very beginning of the movie does present a few questions that I don't have answers to that I think are possibly one of the weaknesses of Back to the Future. Can either of you tell me what kind of experiment would result in all of his clocks being 25 minutes behind? Uh, where you manually set them 25 minutes behind yeah so a temporal displacement experiment it's just it's just something that's always been confusing to me yeah because i would have to imply that maybe like the entire workshop itself was like a time travel device i don't know i just don't know and... that's the only time in the movie where there's like a, a like a fracture between times is when he has like a clock on einstein and sends him back for a minute and it's like look exactly yeah. 60 seconds apart he's got a thing with clocks like when when he when when he calls and Marty's there after Marty destroys his uh, amplifier. Yes, the largest, uh, <clears throat> yeah. largest speaker ever known to man. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a whole bunch of weird shit going on. He's got his coffee machine going off without a, uh, what what do you call those? The a Rube, pot. Rube Goldberg. The pot. Devices. Yes, the pot. But there's a name for it. It's I'm drawing a blank. Maybe it'll come to me later. A press. <clears throat> no. No, it's like a oh a carafe. There it came to me. Mm. Yeah, it goes without the carafe. The toast is bur- is burnt and steaming and possibly going to light on fire tomorrow when it does this tomorrow. Uh, the dog dishes full of fucking shit. He hasn't been there all week. So what's he doing? He says in his call to Marty that he's been working all week. But what has he been working on? The DeLorean or the bomb uh, for the Libyans or what? Yeah. Being an international criminal. <laughs> right. But Andrew mentioned there's plutonium underneath his bed, or at least a plutonium case underneath his bed. So he already got the plutonium. So I just feel like he's kind of ignorant here. Just kind of so absent-minded about his home. He doesn't give a shit. He's so focused and so tunnel vision about this time machine. It's just crazy. And you can see it at Twin Pines Mall in a little bit. You'll see, or you have seen because you've watched it. <laughs> that uh, he is so jacked about his time machine. Like 30 years, spent his entire family fortune. Like he's so jacked. He's so excited. If you rewatch that scene and just focus on how excited Doc Brown is about finally getting his time machine ready to rock. He is so jacked. Yeah, on cocaine. Oh, yeah. Only cocaine would push a scientist to make a DeLorean into a time machine. Well, it's those gullwing doors, you know. They are fucking sexy. They are. He says to he says to Marty, "Are those my clocks? I hear like he's got an affinity to his clocks." And if you'll recall, the only thing that this guy's ever done, all of his inventions are trash, except for the time machine. 
And he found out about the time machine and he invented time travel because he was hanging a clock and fell off his toilet and whacked his head and had a vision. So I think that he's obsessed with clocks because he thinks that clocks gave him something. That right. hang, hanging a clock resulted in him having a, 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 a concussion and a vision. <laughs> and it led to him making the only thing that ever mattered in his entire life. So I think he's got a fucking hard on for clocks. And who knows why they're 25 minutes behind, but it makes Marty late for school. And he likes to ride around behind people on their vehicles. And apparently people wear Mountain Dew hats. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who does that. There's a lot of product placement in Back to the Future. It's all Pepsi-related and companies related to Pepsi throughout the entire trilogy. Hydrating pizzas from Pizza Hut and whatnot. Pepsi-free and Tab at Lou's Diner. Tab is a drink. He was like, I'll take a tab. Like a tab he, thought, he thought it was a, a tab, like a tab to run up a bill. The joke the joke is that it's about the drink tab, but not it's so dated that nobody gets it. Right. And tab is one of those like weird, bizarro Coke products that exists for no seeming demographic. Like it's like, <laughs> do you want a Coke that's not Coke? And you're like, I, I guess. But what's super weird is that whenever I go to visit my family in Norway, guess what fucking drink is super popular in Norway and Norway only? Tab. tab dr pepper no tab and it's like tab extra <laughs> like they have like a sexy version that nowhere else in the world oh, has Jesus. because they were like we don't care about this drink the same i people who i talk to that have not had much experience in the states as well i say have you ever heard of mr pib and they're like no oh that's coke's version of dr pepper really what i'm like yeah canada doesn't get coke's version of dr pepper so we only know dr pepper in our reality but there's an alter reality that has a there dr is. pib in it <laughs> it's a mr pib and until oh, sorry the mr pib see have, i don't even i didn't get it right it used to have a very iconic can like it was like a you know 50-sided polygon it had like ridges all the way around it it wasn't a perfect circle and that was Weird. like super iconic but they got rid of it for some reason a little history lesson <laughs> well let's go let's go with marty as he goes to school shall we So he's waving to the to the girls in the ballerina dance studio, hanging onto the back of the Jeep with the dude wearing the Mountain Dew hat. He gets to school, and he has to deal with the fucking principal. You know, this never wasn't my fault. The doc said all his clocks 25 minutes slow. Doc, I might understand you're still hanging around with Dr. Emmett Brown McFly. Party slip for you, Miss Parker. And one for you, McFly. I believe that makes four in a row. Now, let me give you nickels with a free advice, young man. The so-called Dr. Brown is dangerous. He's a real nutcase. If you hang around with him, you're going to end up in big trouble. Oh, yes, sir. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker, too. Can I go now, Mr. Strickland? I notice your band is on the roster for the dance auditions after school today. Why even bother, McFly? You don't have a chance. You're too much like your old man. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Yeah, well, history is going to change. Woo! Preach! <laughs> history does change. It does. Yeah. It's a foreshadow. It's a nice drop. History is going to change. It's a great line to write in a movie about time travel where history does in fact change. And it sets up a few connections. Strickland says that his 
He reminds him of his father because he was a slacker. However, I'll point out to both of you that George didn't have an attitude problem like Marty. He was just a slacker. (laughs) I don't really think he was a slacker. No, he's one of those like everyone else's homework. Yeah, he was like one of those nerds that like just doesn't have their life together. You know, I'll play the clip later, and I want you to listen closely to George's auditory during the scolding from Strickland because it's uh, it's it's great. He's like he's like, uh, do you want to be a slacker for the rest of your life? No, (laughs) no, I don't want to be. It's uh, fantastic. Do you think do you think it was a premonition during that musical montage uh, when he's going to school and he's hitching the ride on backs of cars like they did for exactly 18 months in the mid 80s and then never again? Um, when he when he looks over at the ballerinas, was that like a premonition about losing the best song and score? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, white heat. <laughs> say you say me. We have to do a white heat preach right after this one. No, I've never seen it. <laughs> but people are in love with that movie. Some people on the internet I see from reading things. So uh, the next part of the movie I'm calling the Doc Brown Wisdom Transplant. Now, this is uh, the Pearl of Wisdom from Doc that Jennifer introduces, saying that, you know, Marty's all dejected because he didn't, you know, he got tossed out of the band auditions by Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis is the guy with the megaphone. You're just too darn loud. And the Pearl of Wisdom from Doc is that if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. This is very important to Bad to the Future. Because Marty actually takes this Pearl of Wisdom that Doc never actually says in the movie. But Jennifer says, remember what Doc always says. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And he takes that back in time and he transplants it into George's head. And George is all like, thanks so much for your advice. I'll never forget it. And then he says it back to him at the end of the movie when he's successful. So it's there's a transplant of Doc Wisdom. And how did they let a female character get away with having uh, purposeful dialogue? That's a good like, question. Why wasn't she just like, you remember what, what we always say, you're such a dream. It's a, I know. It's 1985. <laughs> it's, not, it's not 9 to 5. Dolly Parton's not in the movie. What are we doing here? Right. Oh, and then oh, and then he grabs onto the back of a police car. Oh, he's so badass. He's so yeah. badass. Yeah, he's a slacker. Marty's a slacker. He wants to be a rock star. He's fucking dangerous. He's got an attitude problem. Wow. Turns into a wolf. Plays basketball. There's, there's a contrast with the wisdom transplant, though, because it has you know George McFly's failure mantra imprinted on Marty. What is George McFly's failure mantra, Daniel? I'm. Not, did you call me yellow? Actually, that was only introduced in number two and three. No one calls Marty a coward in the first movie. Uh, okay, you fail. Andrew? I don't know if I can handle that kind of rejection. There it is. He's constantly talking about rejection, and he's constantly talking about, what if I, what, what if, what if they say I'm no good? I don't think I can handle that kind of rejection. So there's this contrast between George's current mindset and the mindset that's going to be manipulated from the transplant of wisdom. Am I going too far with this, guys? You just hold me a check. All right. <laughs> no, you're weaving a beautiful cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, cocoon also came out in 1985, but it did not come close to grossing the kind of money that what Back to the Future did. Ayo. All right. <laughs> I told you. I told you. I felt like I could do this correctly, and I'm, I'm very prepared tonight. Uh, so <clears throat> now I'd like to talk about the clock tower because when Jennifer and him are on the park bench. 
And they're talking about uh, rejection and about if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Uh, They get interrupted by a busybody with a flyer and a can asking for money to save the clock tower. And if Marty does not give a quarter to that bitch to save the clock tower and receive a flyer, and if Jennifer doesn't write her number and I love you on the back of it, then Marty would not have been able to get home because he wouldn't have had the precise time that lightning struck the tower so he could communicate it to Doc in 1950. So it's so many things are being dropped in the opening of this movie, in the pledge portion of this movie, that if all these things don't happen, it directly impacts and changes the rest of the the rest of the situation or the rest of the movie. So very important, pivotal, pivotal moment. Everything's tied together. It is. Yeah, there's no wasted scene. Mm-hmm. Also, and, maybe one of the only times in history where someone has paid money to receive a flyer. well he's donating to save the clock tower it's for a specific purpose you know 30 years ago lightning struck that clock and it hasn't run since you need to help us out and save the clock tower and then we move towards the introduction of the biff and george relationship which has a terrible joke the blind spot joke it's one of the things that when i hear it when i watch back to future i'm like "Eh, uh, i have moments when i'm watching it where i'm like uh (laughs) <laughs> like, I can't believe you loaned me your car without telling me it had a blind spot. And George says, well, it didn't have any blind spot before when I would drive it. Every car has blind spots. It's a terrible joke. Is it a joke? It's more just like information. Every car has a blind spot. Unless maybe the new Teslas don't. I don't know. I think you're reading too much into it. And it's just meant to show that George is a pushover. All right. A pussy. That's fair. And... We enter into the first Think McFly, Think iconic line. It drops in 1985 between Old Biff and Old George. I figured since they weren't due to... Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Think McFly, Think. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, all right. Meanwhile, he's getting fucking whacked on the fucking head. (laughs) It's terrible. Oh, and Biff is such a fucking cocksucker. Uh, say hi to your mom for me. And after you've watched the movie as many times as I have, you say hi to your mom for me. I immediately think about him in the in the lunchroom like, you know you want me to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like trying to rape her in the car. Like he's a fucking bastard. <clears throat> Thomas F. Wilson. Can we take a moment and raise our glasses to Thomas F. Wilson? Absolutely. To Biff. To Biff. To Biff. And to one of my favorite sort of like movie tropes, which is, you know, people always play or they always play with the idea of like star-crossed lovers. But I've always found it much more entertaining when there are star-crossed enemies, which the McFly and the, and Biff situation is and turns out to be in a much broader scope throughout the rest of the films. But this is always my favorite thing. Always having the like familiarity of like a common enemy uh, throughout various periods of time. It's a, I much prefer that over the star-crossed lovers trope. Well... I mean, that's, I mean, the trilogy conversation explodes the Biff relationship because he is such a pivotal character to the rest of the trilogy with the alternate 1985 and um, the Old West version. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, that's one of the reasons why I like Back to the Future 3 so much is only because of him. Oh yeah, Mad, that's a huge part of it, yeah. Mad Dog Tannen is hilarious to me. <laughs> it has one of the most like knee-slapping songs in part three as well. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, ZZ Top. <laughs> yeah. All right, now we arrive to the dinner scene, which is a preach scene. I didn't ask you guys for preach scenes. I just chose a couple that I thought should be played. And the reason why the dinner scene must be preach is because it contains so much fucking information. It's ridiculous. In like a period of five minutes, they lay down everything that they need to for the rest of the movie. Like he's ready to leave the room and go to the future, or sorry, go to the past after this specific scene. Believe me, Marty, you're better off without having to worry about all the aggravation and headaches of playing at that dance. You're absolutely right, Marty. The last thing you need is headaches. We're going to have to eat this cake by ourselves. Your Uncle Joey didn't make parole again. <laughs> I think it would be nice if you all dropped him a line. Uncle Jailbird Joey? He's your brother, Mom. Yeah, I think it's a major embarrassment having an uncle in prison. So I think I'm going to pause the clip part of the way through and talk about it as it happens. I think that'll be easier. But it opens up with, okay, George and Dave are both completely indoctrinated in failure. He's Dave's wearing a McDonald's getup, and George is completely resigned to the fact like, oh, good, you didn't get the audition. You didn't get, you didn't get to play at the dance. Great. You don't need the aggravation and the frustration and the headaches. And Dave's completely indoctrinated by his father's failure, and he's saying, yeah, you don't need the headaches. Totally. He's completely on board with his father. He's set up to be a failure for the rest of his life. Yeah, they're both like, oh, yeah. trying is hard. Yeah. <laughs> we... <laughs> We, we have Jackie Gleason on in the background that they're watching and laughing at, which reappears in 1955. We have Uncle Joey, who's in jail. And an alcoholic drinking problem, Lorraine, comes over and just <laughs> just smacks the, the cake on the table. Your Uncle Joey didn't make parole again. Thwack! <laughs> yeah. It's great. All make mistakes in life, children. God damn it. I'm right. David, watch your mouth. And come here and kiss your mother before you go. Come, come here. Come on, Mom. Make it fast. I missed my bus. Hey, see you later, Pop. Woo! Come on. Time to change that oil. <laughs> hey, Marty. <laughs> I'm at your answering service while you're outside pouting over the car. Jennifer Parker called you twice. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. Oh, my. There's nothing wrong with calling a boy. I think it's terrible. Girls chasing boys. When I was your age, I never chased a boy or called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. Then how am I supposed to ever meet anybody? Well, it'll just happen. Like the way I met your father. I don't even know if these are lies. Do we know that Lorraine sat in a parked car with a boy or any of that? We know that she's lying about drinking. Just because it hasn't technically happened yet? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know that she's... I mean, I want to call her a hypocrite because I never called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. Like, we know she does those things with Marty, but we don't know that she actually did them or not prior right. to meeting George. So I want to call her a liar, but I don't know if I can. I, I think you can because she's so, like, so readily does it with Marty that it seems like she's done it before. But he's a dream. <laughs> Real dreamboat, yeah. And did either of you, have either of you noticed during your multiple viewings of this movie, which I'm sure both, both of you have watched this several times, I have actually didn't realize until this specific time viewing it that 
She's drinking vodka straight. (laughs) I didn't get it before. Like, I I knew that she was pouring something. I just didn't pay attention. She has like a 40 of vodka, and she's like filling up her glass and just drinking herself to death. Like, she is (laughs) just filling up her glass with straight vodka and downing it. (laughs) Straight straight vodka is to women alcoholics what like whiskey bottles are to male alcoholics. Like, it's the same like vibe. All right, fair enough. That was so stupid. Grandpa hit him with the car. It was meant to be. Anyway, if Grandpa hadn't hit him, then none of you would have been born. Yeah, well, still don't understand what Dad was doing in the middle of the street. What was it, George? Bird watching? What, Lori? What? He's short with her because he's a pervert. (laughs) He's like, what? What, Lorraine? What? It's because he was fucking googling her with binoculars through the window oh yes that's right yeah yeah so he's like what what stop talking about this and he just goes into complete ignore mode she asks him another question and i bet he completely ignores her anyway your grandpa hit him with the car and brought him into the house he seems so helpless like a little lost puppy and my heart just went out to him yeah mom we know you've told us this story a million times you felt sorry for him so you decided to go with him to the fish under the sea dance no no it was the enchantment under the sea dance our first date i'll never forget it it was the night of that terrible thunderstorm remember george (laughs) your father kissed me for the very first time on that dance floor it was then that i realized that i was going to spend the rest of my life with him Why is like Zemeckis the only one who's been able to properly harness Crispin Glover's like, weird weirdoness? It's because it was early in Crispin Glover's career. Mm. He was more amenable early on than he ever was after that. I've read a lot about that, that he was um, nervous and shy and scared because it was you know, one of his first big roles and he was trying to be agreeable. But he was a wacko. Crispin Glover's a fucking strange human being. But that being said, his performance is awesome. Yeah, it's like this and Friday the 13th Part 4. And that's like really all I can think of. Well, to be fair, I don't think I've watched his whole filmography. No, but he like oh. felt he like Feldmaned in his later career. He like started making his own like low budget, super artsy films where he's like a goat god and eating babies. And you're like, is this a metaphor? I don't fucking know. That sounds like something I should watch. <laughs> right away but in summary this scene is executed in a way that because oftentimes i don't know about you guys but when i watch movies i'm like some scenes stand out to me like why didn't they do this or they could have done this better if they had changed this it would have been way better there's there's no way that this scene could be done better than it is aside from the clearly um like the old age makeup has not aged well i think we can all agree on that Right. Outside of that, there's nothing that can be improved about this. It lays down so many things about the enchantment of the sea dance, the kiss, getting hit with the car, Uncle Joey in jail, Lorraine's drinking issues, contradictions over her lewd behavior, Jackie Gleason on in the background. There are so many things that this lays down for the rest of the movie 
Yeah, we, even the dichotomy can... of like the siblings, which is like you said, like even the sister is like seems like she's uh, given over to the the failure curse of the family because she's yeah. just she has like no neck, her posture is super bad. She's just like uh, just sighs at everything. Yeah, the brother the brother is like, yeah, just give up, dude, just give up. <laughs> you don't need the headaches. You don't need them. Yeah, it's so there's so much density to this scene, and they pull it off in two minutes and fifty four seconds. That's filmmaking. That's fucking crazy how well that's executed. That's nuts. Yeah. He's he, he could walk out of the room and time travel right now. He doesn't even need anything else except a DeLorean, which is where we go next. And gentlemen, actually, before I do that, I want to raise a glass to Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson because they're both fucking exceptional in this scene and the rest of the movie. Yeah, and they're, they're playing parents to actors. They're all the same age, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure everyone in actually, that scene is about the same age. Actually, the actress, Wendy Jo Sperber, who plays Linda McFly, she's actually six years older than uh, Crispin and a few years older than Leah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think Dave's close to their age, too. Yeah, they're all the same age, basically, except for Linda's a bit older. But we're going to go to Twin Pines Mall at 1.30 in the morning, or sorry, 1.15 in the morning, and we're going to meet Doc Brown and... Twin Pines, or sorry, and the Libyans. <laughs> so how does the flux capacitor work? Can anybody tell me? Well, you I, stick some uh, recycled fruit and vegetables in it. That's, that's number, later. That's number two and three. That's Mr. Fusion. <laughs> Fuck you. First, you, you need you need like a radioactive substance because it operates off of like fission or whatever. It but operates how, off of gigawatts. But how does it actually time travel? Well, like, you does Back to the, the Future. Back to the Future doesn't it, doesn't explain how any things work. They say this is the flux capacitor. This is how time travel is possible, but they don't tell you how it works. Really, I mean, he says but, I'll show you how it works, but he doesn't really show them how. Yeah, it, it, they do. They do well because your brain kind of like fills in the gap because it's you know that you need a, a, a source of fuel that provides a massive like impact of energy and then the flux capacitor somehow takes that giant amount of energy and then creates some sort of like time distillation field around the vehicle thank you daniel that's wonderful in my research i've found some interesting information would you like to hear some physics mm. Mm. time and energy are interchangeable as position and momentum a delorean is 4,216 millimeters long. And when traveling at 88 miles per hour, the car travels its own length in meters per second. So it catches up to itself. So essentially, if it is moving at a rate that is the same to its mass, then doesn't it have an opportunity to interrupt or bend space-time? Of course. Well, I'm saying that that's like some, some of the... Uh, people on the internet, that's what they put forward, is that the 88 miles per hour is about reaching a position and an amount of momentum that allows for a wormhole to be created, essentially. Yeah, it's also fascinating because I believe the DeLorean maxed out at about 95 miles an hour because it weighed six to 7,000 pounds because it was made out of steel. Um, so notoriously slow car, which is why it's always been sort of hilarious that it's used as like a time travel speeding device. Mm-hmm. Also, if it were back to the future, I don't think anybody culturally would remember the DeLorean. Absolutely. It was manufactured for like three or four years. It had two models, I think. The second model no one's ever seen. And it was quickly 
uh, overcome by its own cocaine smuggling operation, which the entire manufacturing process was a cover for. <laughs> I watched that movie about the DeLorean. Um, it had Lee Pace and uh, the guy from Saturday Night Live, his name right, Jason something. But yeah, it it said that uh, DeLorean was a complete and utter failure. So I was like fascinated by the by how Back to the Future has made the DeLorean famous. Yeah, yeah, that's the only they, reason. They actually still do develop DeLoreans in Texas, but they produce them with nostalgia features like flex right. capacitors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So of I mean, because no, nobody wants a DeLorean without a flux capacitor. <laughs> so the the basis of meeting Doc and understanding the time travel is that they don't really force feed you any physics details, and as you can tell from my explanation, there's a reason why. Because it would fucking drag the whole thing down and kill it. Don't worry, I'm going to bring up the energy. <laughs> <laughs> the point is that it's interesting that if something travels at the same momentum as its mass, that it could possibly open up. A wormhole. I've recently been watching a television show called Dark on Netflix, and it also has interesting details about time travel that connect to Back to the Future in a strange way. I don't know if you noticed this, Daniel, when you watched it the first season, but uh, it talks about how there's dualities and you need like three things in order to bend space-time. Mm-hmm. And the flux capacitor has three specific prongs. It's a it has like a, a peace sign, upside down peace sign, essentially. So there's three elements involved there, which lines up with the fact that you need more, more than a duality to in order to wrap it around itself, which is interesting. And then Dark also deals with the exact same fucking timeline. It deals with, well, close to it anyway, 33 years forward and back. Back to the Future deals with 30 years forward and back. And it also happens at the same fucking time. November 5th to November 12th is the same time period that Dark deals with. So it's weird that that time period and some of those physics concepts and ideas are lining up with Bad to the Future, even though they didn't make it a centerpiece or care about explaining the physics. There's something there's something there that can be explored that uh, gives legitimacy to the physics of Bad to the Future. Yeah, it's true. In, in in that sense, only the third Back to the Future movie is the outlier then, because you you do, in Dark, you need that, that trifecta, the, the past, the present, and the future, those three points. Yeah. So yeah. it's really only the, the third movie where they go an extra, like, 100 years back. Yeah, yeah. Back <clears throat> to the Future 3 violates it. Agreed. It goes 100 years. Um, I'll also point out that uh, Doc's van says on the side of it, Dr. E. Brown, 24-hour scientific services. <laughs> <laughs> you just give it like just gross homeless man handies for like bits of cash well i mean if you really dive into the whole like sold off his whole family fortune like there's newspaper articles about his mansion burning his 1955 mansion burning so a lot of the people in the lore of back to the future think that he burned it down himself to get the insurance money to pay for his plight to create time travel oh for sure and the garage <laughs> in the 1955 is the same garage that he lives in in 1985, meaning that he sold off all the land to commercial interests over the years because there's a Burger King next door. <laughs> so he's constantly just slowly uh, selling off his assets to pay for his time travel, which all leads to his enthusiasm and excitement over the existence of his perfect invention or the invention that actually works. What if it's like all a fraud? Like it just like if we get like a 
a little like behind the scenes thing. It just shows him like setting up his bathroom to make it look like he's fallen. And that's what he uses as the catalyst to set his place on fire. <laughs> uh, side question. Does Rick and Morty exist in the same way without Back to the Future? Oh, yeah. It is very Back to the Future reliant. And it has the same sort of insane to pitch to a studio boy-man relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... I don't know. I don't want to put it past the creator of Rick and Morty that he wouldn't have created something similar. But maybe the names would be different. Maybe Morty wouldn't be the name. Right. Um, let's see here. Is Back to the Future racist, Andrew? No. No. Here, let me help you. On a scale of one to... How racist would Back to the Future be? <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. They're talking about reefer addicts, spooks, so maybe a little. <laughs> but is that culturally like... implied with the 1955 uh, umbrella? Oh, well, yeah, it would be. That would be what you'd hear at that time and present, you know? Well, it's kind of like the fact that it's Libyan terrorists, like that itself is not so racist, because especially at that time. That's where your main bulk, especially your media-covered bulk of terrorism, was coming out of that area of the world. But maybe the the, the men hanging out the top of the van with rocket launchers going, ah, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a little racist. He calls them bastards as well. Yeah. You bastards can do 90. Yeah, he means godless bastards. Yeah. Right. Well, I've been told that current TV edits of Back to the Future remove the term Libyan terrorists and dub something else. I don't know what. Oh, God. Yeah, it's but awesome. It's the Libyans. Yeah, I know. It would just, in modern day, it would just be like a like a truck full of like crazed white rednecks. <laughs> it's the Alabamians. So how time travel works is, or at least, sorry, not how time travel works, but how he invented time travel is integral to the story. Without that knowledge, Marty cannot slam dunk convince 1955 Doc that he's from the future. So that story is another essential piece of information that he was... Integral. Yeah, that he was standing on his toilet, hanging a clock, and when he slipped, fell, he hit his head on the sink, and when he came to, he had a revelation, a vision. That he had, that he had committed insurance fraud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a picture in his head, a picture of this, the flux capacitor. The DeLorean. That's right. And the Libyans come, they kill him or shoot Doc and tear. It's so sad. Really, when you go back, guys, when you go back and rewatch that scene and just focus on Doc's absolute fucking giddy excitement. He almost forgets his luggage. He forgets to bring extra plutonium. He's beside himself. He's so jacked. I almost forgot to bring extra plutonium. <laughs> One trip, I must be out of my mind. He's just <laughs> so fucking excited about finally, like he sold, guys, he sold off. He possibly, thank you, Daniel, insurance fraud. He sold his off. He lit fire to his fucking house to claim the insurance money. He sold off all of his land to commercial interest. He's living in a fucking garage. He's finally there. 30 years in the making. And the fucking Libyans show up. And take it from him. That's that's the impact of this scene. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and so so violently too. Yeah. Like I like 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 you're like you know, dun, 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 dun. and all of a sudden he just gets robocopped, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> Well, they they gloss over it, right? Like the the Silvestri score and Marty being our hero and getting away, and you know, you bastards. Let's see if you can do ninety. And that's <laughs> that's where we're going next is nineteen fifty five, gentlemen. And the first question in my prep sheet is: Is Marty simple? Is he dumb? Uh he's like nineteen eighties naivete. You know, well, super innocent. He knows he's in a time machine. And he really struggles to figure out what's going on. Like it works, it works for the film. And the fact that Fox was doing Family Ties and Back to the Future at the same time and was running on very little sleep. Like he was, he was filming uh, Family Ties during the day and Back to the Future at night. And they did the day scenes for Back to the Future on the weekend. Like he was constantly going. People were driving him to and from his bed. Like he was, he was uh, extended. So it works for the for the movie his performance but i just i constantly ask myself why are you why are you saying let's see if these bastards can do 90 he just told you he just told you ah, what did i tell you 88 miles per hour the temporal displacement occurred exactly 120 a.m in zero seconds you just saw time travel happen at 88 miles an hour, you know what happens. <laughs> right. So are you dumb? Right. Is he? Does he not understand that he's gone back in time at all? Or is he just trying to figure out exactly when back in time he's gone? He just seems like he's in a state of constant um, awe, which I imagine you would be. And that's why it works. But I just, I ask myself these questions because I've watched the movie so many times. And I'm like, wouldn't you pick up on it a little faster? No, I don't think so. And they keep carrying that through the rest of the trilogy with the, uh, you know, Marty, you're not thinking fourth dimensional. Yeah, I got a real problem with that. It, it's also because they, I didn't really think about this until now, they don't have any, like, weird graphical interlude when they are time traveling. Like, it's just the the fire lines on the ground, and then, poof, they're back in time or forward in time or whatever. There's no, like, Bill and Ted, like, through the wormhole, you know, like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> well... The DeLorean does get frosty. It is cold in the void of time, yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there's no, like, yeah. And I'm trying to think of other time travel situations where they go through some sort of traveling process. Like Stargate. Stargate's not a time, though. It's a distance. Sure, but it's like the same thing. It's like a, you know, a CG, yeah. like, oh, no, wormhole. It's, yeah, like... it's, it, it, it's a wormhole for sure. Yeah, okay. No, that's fair. Whoa! It's like that's just my immediate go-to like thought of any time travel moment in a movie. Whoa! <laughs> I'm gonna take a moment and talk about Eric Stoltz. Do, Here we go. Do I was both, wondering when this is coming up. Do both of you know who Eric Stoltz is? Yeah, yeah, he's the one with the the movie with the giant face <laughs> mask. <laughs> yeah, with with Cher. Yeah, uh, Andrew, you know who Eric Stoltz is? Yeah. Also, the guy that is in Pulp Fiction that. Uh, Helps stab Uma Thurman in the heart with a needle. Yeah. Um. So he was the original Marty McFly. They went with him because of the success of Mask and because Marty or Michael J. Fox was not available due to family ties, the sitcom. And they ultimately decided that his uh, his mojo wasn't wasn't good, and they had to fire him and go back to Marty. 
and manage the entire production around Michael J. Fox's family ties schedule, which is fucking bizarre, is it not? It is weird, and it always made me think that Stoltz just sat at home on Friday nights, like slamming whiskey lowballs and watching Back to the Future, like, Kuba me, Kuba me. <laughs> he claims he claims to not even remember the time that he was on set. Yeah, he's probably doing a lot of cocaine. He was in that kind of rat packy sort of crowd. That makes sense. What I one of the most fun uh, trivia items that I came across was this one uh, during his time on the film. And being a method actor, Eric Stoltz refused to answer questions to any other name than Marty. When Christopher Lloyd was told that Stoltz was to be replaced, he asked, Who's Eric? (laughs) 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 And after further explanation added, Oh, I thought his name was really Marty. I bet I bet Lloyd knew exactly what was going on, but I, I just in my head like those type of actors, they seem like they're super annoying on set. Like oh, they're like, he, no, no, no. Like he was taking I'm, a sarcastic shot at him. Yeah, like I'm always Marty, and you're like, and then the other actors just like roll their eyes, like, Ugh, fuck. Daniel Day Lewis over here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the uh, Eric Stoltz uh, segue. Is the uh, the fact that oh, and there's also. Uh, trivia stuff about him and Thomas Wilson that during the scene in 1955 in the diner or not in the diner sorry in the lunchroom of the school where they have the altercation um, you know where Strickland's standing in the background and he says I'm going to give you a break today why don't you make like a tree and get out of here that whole scene where they grab each other after he's trying to accost Lorraine and they get aggressive with each other apparently Eric Stoltz is taking this situation so method acting seriously that he was actually like really aggressive and was physically hurting Wilson in the scenes all the takes that they did and Wilson kept asking him to like ease up and Stoltz acted like he wasn't even asking him <laughs> anything he just kept being a douche so apparently Eric Stoltz is a fucking douchebag and they were happy to get rid of him for more than one reason you know yeah. what I think of when I think teen comedy what method acting yeah yeah what you think of? those two things go hand in hand for sure <laughs> do, you, do you think he didn't let up because because tom was like kept calling him eric like hey eric can you like ease up a little bit <laughs> and he was just like who who sorry you're not talking to me so i can't answer your query that it, way it is interesting though seeing the like handful of uh like stills or photos from when stoltz was doing that because it's mm-hmm. so weird it's like watching like an alternate dimension yeah, and there's actually a few scenes in the movie that have Stoltz in them that they didn't reshoot. Ooh, weird. Like the wide shots of the DeLorean driving in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. It's Stoltz behind the wheel. Mm. And there's one specific scene where his shoulder and his hand in the scene. wonder if that's where the clips of the DeLorean traveling through a wormhole went to. <laughs> it's just Stoltz. It's just Stoltz in there like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> So Marty goes back to 1955 and crashes into a barn and turns Twin Pines Mall into Lone Pine Mall. And uh, the kid is convinced that he's an alien because he's wearing a radiation suit and the DeLorean looks weird. Marty, it in the human form! Shoot it! <laughs> Shoot it! <laughs> yeah, exactly. And another question. Is Marty incredibly unlucky? Because... He just kind of stumbles into 1955 
and he just immediately randomly runs into his dad in the cafe and starts erasing himself from existence almost immediately. <laughs> immediately, like the most suicidal, yeah, of all the places. <laughs> <laughs> and right before he calls Doc Brown in the phone book, he could have interrupted the existence of time travel itself. I had never thought about this until I prepped for this podcast. I had never thought about this idea. But he tries to call Doc Brown in 1955 in the the payphone in Lou's cafe. Gentlemen, what if he accidentally interrupted Doc when he was trying to hang the clock in the bathroom? Uh Uh-oh. What if if the phone rang when he was stepping onto the toilet? It's... It's actually kind of mind-blowing to me. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. You could have fucked the whole thing up very easily. Yeah, and that is that is sort of like a, just a trope of time travel movies anyway. There's always someone that's like, no matter what you do, do not make contact with your past self. And like the first thing they do is just start making out with their past self. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> and Marty discovers that George is sitting next to him in the diner. And we have our second... Hello, Think McFly, Think. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, Think McFly, Think. (laughs) And he follows him and watches him be a peeping Tom. And he saves his dad from being hit by the car. And he gets hit by the car himself. And it launches us into the reversal, the forced reversal of the Oedipus complex with his mom falling in love with him. And brings us to the second... Preach scene, which is the bedroom scene between him and his mother. Mom, is that you? You're there now. Just relax. Been asleep for almost nine hours now. Had a horrible nightmare. Dreamed that I went back in time. It was terrible. Well, safe and sound now. Back in good old 1955. 1955. So a quick question before we continue is, how do you guys feel about the usage of this scene? Because they repeat it. Do you think it's a a smart, fun move to repeat it in number two with back on the good old 27th floor and in number three with back on the good old McFly farm? Like, Do you think that, that repeating those scenes is a positive thing for the trilogy? Or do you think it's um, yeah, redundant? Always a lighthearted callback. Yeah. Just trying to form any thread they can. I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that all of this scene is hot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they also, keep it, like, they keep what it. if it, you, they wouldn't take much to push it just a little bit darker, too? Like, because he's passed out, what if he, like, wakes up and she just, like, you know, pulls her head up from his crotch area, like, oh, you're awake. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might get you. <laughs> oh, my God. Because well, I have always appreciated that they. You know, they they filmed this movie on the back lot of Universal Studios. They built Hill Valley. They've had some problems since then with, like, lightning and fires, and most of the town has burned down, but the clock tower is apparently still there. But I think that it's fun that they kept things specific. I think that it's a positive thing that they isolated Back to the Future to a very specific place, Hill Valley, that Hill Valley Plaza, and kept returning to it with 2015 and 1885 changing the details but keeping the place the same a lot of mistakes in time travel movies are because they try to complicate things and they don't keep it simple enough and that's one of the 
triumphs of Back to the Future is that it keeps it simple, a controllable environment that they can manipulate and repeat and show the differences. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's probably why this gets so much credit for having a, a, a quote-unquote perfect script is because they, they do keep everything small and simple and it allows them to tie everything back in the end and it has all these thematic threads that probably screenwriters and shit jerk off about. And it's, it is. It's very, very solid. Everything connects back into itself and it didn't ever need a part two or a part three, even though they're welcome entries. Andrew? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's good for, for the franchise or the trilogy. Mm-hmm. You may as well bring things back in on themselves. I mean, it's about time travel, so it makes sense. Yeah, it gives you those clear moments where it's like, you know, twin pines, single pines, or like this neighborhood used to be affluent in the in this era, but now this exact same neighborhood that you recognize because of all these little characteristics is now a poor neighborhood or like whatever. They mm. You've got these little markers that they set in place that are very easy to identify when they jump back and forth. There's people on the internet that try to connect things about all three movies that they shouldn't be trying to connect. Yeah, that's the best part about about dealing with sequels <laughs> is making them all well, connect even when they shouldn't. <laughs> it's like once they once it was a, once it was a commercial success, they decided there would be new elements that would continue. Like being a chicken and being coward, being a coward is a huge part of the trilogy, but it is not mentioned once in number 1, and I never really realized that until doing this preparation for this preach because i just assumed that it was a a a trilogy long theme or motif but it's not yeah that is weird yeah because the whole chicken thing is such a big deal and i love i love the scene in number three what's the matter dude you yella stops cold (laughs) like nobody calls me yellow Mr. Pie Plate. Oh, I think Frisbee. I like... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Frisbee? Far out. What's the meaning Far of that? Out. What's the meaning of that? It was right in front of him. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. They're, they're so terrible, but they're so good, I'm too. So, I'm so sorry. There's some more racial stuff with uh, Goldie Wilson and Lou's Diner as well. With the, uh... <clears throat> Say, boy, <laughs> why you let those bullies bully you around like that? Oh yeah, yeah, that's colored right. But they don't, but they don't ever go too deep into it. <laughs> no, and it's not that bad because it's dated, right? It's nice if like colored mayor, that'll be the day. You just wait and see, Mister Carruthers. I will be mayor. Blah blah. Right, but they don't like they they keep everything light and family friendly. There's no like real 1950s like yeah. <laughs> oh, integration just happened. Exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, exactly. Just everyone just freely dropping n bombs. The next part of the movie is the uh, the 1955 dinner scene. So is, after, is this one heavy? No. No, they don't get into the heavy. The heavy um, where Marty always says, oh, wow, this is heavy, and Doc says, uh, great Scott. That stuff doesn't start until they meet up in 1955. Oh. But at the dinner scene, he meets his uncle Joey. Jackie Gleason reappears. Sam Baines Lorraine's father doesn't know who John F. Kennedy is, and I'm asking you guys genuinely, is that a mistake? Should people have known who JFK was five years before he became president? No, that's not a mistake. No. That's normal. Nobody knew who JFK was five years before he got elected. Did you know who Obama was five years before he got elected? Yeah, but he was like... I mean, you could say it about Trump, but he was a 
TV personality. So, of course, you knew yeah, about him. Trump wouldn't yeah, apply. But, but the Kennedys were like a dynasty. Like, they would have been more like Trump's notoriety than Obama's. Yeah, he mm. says, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? He's like, do you know where Riverside Drive is? Oh, yeah, that's a block past Maple. That's uh, John F. Kennedy. Or, sorry, that's... That's a block past Maple, and Marty says, oh, that's John F. Kennedy Drive. And Sam Bain says, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? There's no idea who he is. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, because maybe if you weren't into politics, maybe you didn't know, but if you were a little bit, you're like, oh, of course, the Kennedys. Fuck, they've been around for 40 years, but like... <clears throat> right. Sam Baines could have had his head up his ass, going to whatever blue-collar job, coming home, watching Glass Jackie Gleason, and trying to be happy. Yeah, but he keeps running into these fucking kids. Another damn kid jumped in front of my car. He's it's more than once. Another one. He's hit more than one. <laughs> and Lorraine yeah, like just the, keeps the fifties. You just like hit people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Lorraine just keeps like come up to my room and fuck <laughs> me. That's what her whole thing is. That that's that's her shtick. She's just looking for like, hunting dudes down in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. she just like Florence Nightingale effect is her thing. She just spreads yeah. her legs like, oh God, who is this guy that my dad just harmed? Oh, I want you inside of me. <laughs> Something like that. And Sam Baines calls Marty an idiot, says it is from his upbringing, and says, Lorraine, if you ever have a kid like that, I'll disown you. How is that not good writing? That yeah. is good writing, especially because he does disown her for having money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam's not in 1985, so we have to assume that a disowning took place. That's why she drinks. Yeah, that's why she drinks. <laughs> she's so aggressive, which really highlights. She's sexually aggressive. Like, she's touching his leg under the table. She's fucking trying to... She's yeah, so she's sexual. trying to jerk him off at she's dinner so and then sexual. cut to the future where she's like, oh, calling a boy. Yeah, let's listen to the rest Wait, of that clip. She took his pants off. Yeah, well, she he touched his wiener for sure. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> that happened. You're my, you're my, my name is Lorraine, Lorraine Baines. Yeah, but you're, uh, you're so, uh, you're so thin. Just relax, Calvin. You've got a big bruise on your head. Where are my pants? Over there. On my hope chest? <laughs> I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin. Calvin, why why do you keep calling me Calvin? Well, that is your name, isn't it? Calvin Klein? It's written all over your underwear. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I guess they call you Cal. Uh, no, actually, people call me Marty. Oh. Pleased to meet you, Calvin. Marty? Fine. Do you mind if I sit here? No. Fine. No. Good. Fine. Good. <laughs> That's a, a big bruise you have there. Ah, ah. Oh, Lorraine, are you up there? Oh, my God, it's my mother. That is honestly one of my favorite clips from this entire movie. And I think that when you constantly think about what was going on in the background, that he had to go and film Family Ties all day and then go and film Back to the Future and then get five hours of sleep and then get up and do it all over again and film all the daytime scenes on the weekend for Back to the Future. Like this, he was so extended. And I think that it really helped his performance. Because personally speaking, when I did do acting in the past, when I was sleep depraved, 
I was much more, I, it, was, it was much easier to let go and just embrace the moment and be genuine and really have a great scene. So when he's doing this whole. Oh, fine. No, good. Fine. Like, it just, it's, it's so genuine. It's so great. I just love it. Because she doesn't, because she doesn't remember him at all in like the future after that happens, right? She doesn't like have moments where she looks at Marty like, "Man, you look a lot like this guy I ran into when That's... I was when I was like 16. So yeah. I feel like if he wanted to, <laughs> he could have just like just closed his eyes. <clears throat> he really just about said, "You're so hot." Yeah, he did. He you're was so, like, I uh, love those triangular 1950s bras. You're so uh, thin. <laughs> so hot, hot, thin. She's pretty yeah. sexy, but I mean, you guys are you guys are terrible. You're going you're going that way. I mean, Bob She's Gale. Like, Bob Gale's been assaulted with this with this question, and he's always said like, look, he knew she knew this guy for eight days when she was 17, like. There's no way that she remembers specifically what his face looked like. So, to your point, Daniel, she's—they're both free and clear to have sex with each other. Uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. There would be no incestuous Im- implications or ramifications whatsoever. Just in Marty's brain. Well, let's ask Andrew. Andrew, do you remember if there was any new students that stayed for a? short period of time when you went to school that you interacted with? Do you remember anything about them or their facial features or anything like that? Uh, There was only one new student and he he stayed for a while and he was from South Korea. Do you remember his face really well? I remember it pretty good. You remember when you hit him him with his car? I spent two years in school with him after he came, so it's not like it was a short stay. Okay, so you don't have any examples of an eight-day period? No. So that doesn't help us. Daniel, do you have any examples of someone that was there and gone very quickly from your high school experience? Can you recall any facial features from that person? Um, yeah, I can think of a couple of instances where there was uh, some girls I hung out with for not very long. Their faces are fading. I don't know if I saw them then 30 years in the future if I'd put two and two together. Right. But... So you would say based off of that, she, he could have nailed his mother. Yeah, well, well, I feel like nailing her would take too much attention because you'd be like on top of her, looking down at her face, just being like, my mom, my mom, my mom, my mom. Um, But just that like closing your eyes and just letting her take off your Calvin Klein's like. Mm, Wonderful. I'm glad that we resolved this. (laughs) After this, he ditches the Baines family and he goes and he meets 1955 Doc. And this part of the movie is titled Doc I'm from the future Doc I'm from the future I came here in a time machine that you invented now I need your help to get back to the year 1985 see they could have done this scene so many different ways but it is so well done I revisit the no wasted scenes comment here they could have done it many different ways but they just executed this so well. A crackpot inventor wants to read his thoughts and predict who he is and why he is there. Do you know what this means? That's beautiful. It's yeah. it's fucking in beautiful. A, in a time machine that you invented. <laughs> <laughs> it's followed by him brushing Marty and his story off before being faced with indisputable evidence that his story is true. 
and it happens within three minutes and 50 seconds from sidewalk to believing his story. That's nuts. That's nuts. I mean, you have to solve this problem of convincing the crackpot inventor that you're from the future. How many time travel movies are there? I don't know how many there are, but this is one of the obstacles or challenges that would be presented in a time travel movie is convincing someone from the past that you are from the future. And they do this in three minutes and 50 seconds. And they do it in a fun, hilarious way. It is. It's well executed. In fact, it's so well executed that I think this scene, along with a handful of others from some upper tier time travel movies, as well as just some other horror movies and fantasy movies, I think I, I remember putting me in the mindset as a young person that, okay, if a stranger or something ever comes up to me and passionately tries to tell me that they're from the future or that they have a magical power <laughs> or that they can see my thoughts, like I should just instantly believe them. <laughs> like the story is so outlandish. Like I'll give you, I'll give you some more time. Yeah. I'll engage this. It's also some great stuff here because initially, I mean, a part of the three minutes and 50 seconds, the first part of it is the whole, you know, I'm going to read your thoughts you are from the Saturday Night Evening Post. You're from the Youth Card, Youth Youth Coast Guard Auxiliary. No! <laughs> <laughs> and Marty's face is hilarious. He's like wide-eyed. His mouth is gaping open. He's like, no! It's <laughs> 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 like Doc is so obsessed with the fact that like none of his inventions work. This is such bullshit. It's so great how it ties into his longing for something that he invents to work, which is where my theory about the clocks comes in, is that he just gets so obsessed with clocks because it's obvious that he suffered a lot of pain from failed inventions, which is amusing. And he says, uh, Ronald Reagan is president. Fuck off. That's crazy. The actor? The actor? That's so ridiculous. And I think some of the Ronald Reagan stuff is really funny because Ronald Reagan actually watched Back to the Future at Camp David and loved it. He was so jacked about it. He used it in his 1986 State of the Union address. He said, <laughs> he said as they said in the film Back to the Future, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> it's hilarious that this movie had an impact on such an iconic president. Great. Although I think there was some tension because he said, uh, he said, oh, well, who's the first lady? And he mentioned Ronald Reagan's ex-wife, who he actually broke up with in 1949. He was actually married to Nancy Reagan in 1985. Apparently that caused an issue. Ooh. Like, why would you mention his ex-wife, who he had divorced six years prior to the movie happening? And it's probably because of all the rewrites. Because they rewrote the movie like 44 times. And they kept changing the date that he went back in time because of the updates to the scripts. And I would believe that Doc Brown being like a, you know, absent-minded sort of inventor. He, he's probably six to ten years back on, on, you know, cultural celebrity news. For sure. That's also a factor. I thought about that as well. This is where I believe the turn happens. Act two. Mm-hmm. Where they formulate the plan. So they've set the stage, he's gone back in time, they've set the problem, and now they formulate a plan that they need to do in the past, which is to harness the lightning, go back to the future, and fix the issue with uh, Marty's fuck-up. Marty, I'm sorry, but the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. 
Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. We do now. This is it. This is the answer. It says here that a bolt of lightning is going to strike the clock tower precisely 10.04 p.m. next Saturday night. If we could somehow harness this lightning, channel it into the flux capacitor, it just might work. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Mm. Title drop, great little score in the background as they start figuring shit out. So a few points to mention. Doc is on a first name basis with dead inventors from fame framed photographs. Yeah. He says, uh, Tom, Thomas Edison, Tom, how can I harness that kind of power? It can't be done. <laughs> uh, clarification on the damage that Marty has already done and the introduction, introduction of Doc's erasure of existence theory. So, Andrew, mm-hmm. the, the theory is necessary for dramatic effect, but does it bother you that the erasure of existence slowly eats away at his siblings one by one instead of slowly fading all three of them at the same time? Um, it depends on what order they were born. Well, that's the that's how it works in the movie. Is that Dave slowly his hair loses, like it disappears from the photograph. Was he born last? No, Dave. Yeah, exactly. It should have began with Marty. Should it have? Because Dave was the first born, Linda was second, and Marty was the last. Then it should have started with Marty for sure. Because if you're like unraveling the future, I feel like you would climb back from the tentacles because that's where it gets more convoluted the further away from the moment in time that you are. I didn't even think about that, guys. That's crazy. I did all this prep and I didn't even think about that concept that's blowing my mind that it would reverse from the last child instead of the first child. And (sighs) that that causes more problems to Doc's theory. It also always, I always thought, they never portrayed it this way, but whenever I saw them start to fade in the movie as a kid, I always, like, in my head thought it was, like, super painful. Like, <laughs> like you're, like, you're dematerializing and you're just like... <sighs> oh, like when he's when he's playing the music and he can't play anymore because he's looking through his hand like he's on acid? Yeah, like, that would be, like, you know, the sense, like, when your limb falls asleep and comes back to, like, awake, but time's a million. Yeah, I... I had only jumped from, this is fascinating, because I had only jumped from Doc's theory in the movie to all three of them erasing at the same time. I thought they would, I thought they would equally evaporate at the same time. And that's also more viable of a theory than I think the way it's actually portrayed. But the reason, but I mean, I acknowledge that the reason why they did it in the movie the way that they did it is to create a... Suspense? A, Picking yeah, clock? Yeah, yeah, a suspense that's impacting Marty... But I, I argue that like whether or not his existence takes place in 1985 or not, that his existence in 1955 should not be affected. Like maybe he no longer exists and he gets to live out the rest of his individual life in 1955. But I don't know that his, his impact to the timeline changes the fact that he's still alive, that he's a being made of energy that exists in 1955 having traveled back. I don't know that changing events could eliminate the fact that he's there from a physics standpoint. Right. Does time have that well 
defined of a memory right can con- control every little thread that jumps all over the place yeah it, it creates problems that whole doc theory creates one of the major problems that they chose to use as a plot device that makes sense that they would use it as a plot device to create stress and it's effective but i just i question it and i always love that their little bit or their little joke that the doc like never changes the way he looks like he always looks like <laughs> a 60 year old crazed scientist yeah you can see the old man makeup on him in 1985 but yeah he looks very very similar and uh strickland and george i promised that before because as a result of the situation he has to stick to his dad like glue and resolve the problem that he has created and a part of that is watching him and him and <laughs> Doc being like, wow, what did your mom ever see in this loser? <laughs> I know, he's just up in a tree, just beaten off. Just like, yeah, <laughs> he's, got a kick, he's got a kick me sign on him, and they're all kicking him, and Str- Strickland... <laughs> he's just like, oh, oh, oh God. Str- Strickland shows up, and he's like, you're a slacker. And he's like, do you want to be a slacker for the rest of your life? And he says, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're a slacker. Do you want to be a slacker for the rest of your life? No. Oh. <laughs> no no i don't <laughs> so yeah just to reiterate george was not a slack it was not a he didn't have an attitude problem he was just a slacker apparently according to strickland but you guys pointed out maybe he wasn't a slacker either he was being due diligent he was doing other people's homework and he was writing a science fiction novel at the same time yeah he was bullied and psychologically <laughs> abused not so much of a slacker <laughs> But I do love that Strickland, just anybody that seems off the beaten path, he's just like, slacker. Yeah. Yeah. And the Florence Nightingale effect that uh, Doc explains, like, oh, wow, your mom's in love with you instead of your father. Uh, The translation here is that from a Bechdel perspective, that Lorraine is a mindless girl who would have fallen in love with any boy that was hit by the car. Good thing that the kiss is needed to seal the deal. That's right. Uh, The Doc Brown wisdom transplant makes another appearance to establish George's issues with self-confidence and focusing on rejection and that fear of rejection being amplified by Biff specifically. So what what does Marty have to do to get George on board with asking Lorraine out to the dance? He's got to cross-contaminate Star Wars, Star Trek, and play Van Halen, but not just Van Halen. Edward Van Halen. That's correct. Last night, Darth Vader came down from Planet Falcon and told me that if I didn't take Lorraine out, that he'd melt my brain. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> let's let's just keep this brain-melting stuff to ourselves, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he said, uh... Silence, Earthling! My name is Darth Vader. Star Wars. I am an extraterrestrial from the Planet Falcon. Star Trek. That's correct, Andrew. That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, why? Yep. Well, what's the whole Eddie Van Halen Van Halen thing? Please explain. Oh, it's just funny that he's the guitar player, and Van Halen, Van Halen is, is the band, but he's got the song labeled as Edward Van Halen because he's a guitar guy. So you don't actually know why. Well, why? Why it's, is it? It's like you don't give that a, way. It's like you don't give a fuck about my preach. You didn't. Uh, you didn't. Well, come tell with me. me. You tell me. <laughs> the reason is because Van Halen, the band, didn't agree to, didn't consent to have their name appear in the movie. But Edward, so put Edward, Edward Van Halen, the guitarist, 
said, I don't have an issue with it. You can put Eddie Edward Van Halen and I'll I'll strum a riff for you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the intro to one of the songs. Yeah. On Van Halen. Yeah, he uh he had uh, laid claim to it on some other movie as well. That same that same uh, lick had been used in another movie and him or something. The point oh, yeah. is that there was a conflict between band consent and individual musician consent. Yeah, well, Which that's Van is... Halen in a nutshell for you. It's their whole career. Well, yeah, they changed lead singer <laughs> like three fucking times. But it is great. He gives George a destiny. Well, he gets him on board. Well, he gives George some density. <laughs> <laughs> he gets him committed, like thoroughly committed. He's terrified. He wants. To, he now is completely 100% on board with asking Lorraine out to the dance. However, Marty is a fucking idiot and keeps making Lorraine fall more in love with him and can't get it done. Yeah, that's his subconscious still wanting to put it in his mind. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, he has to dress up in his radiation suit and play some Van Halen with his futuristic Walkman to manipulate George. <laughs> and George gets committed, and he goes in there. He's serious. What does he ask Lou for, Andrew? Um, he asked for, uh, something straight up, a shake. <laughs> Lou, give me a milk, chocolate. Lou, give me a milk, chocolate. Cherry <laughs> Coke. Density has popped me to you. What? Oh, what I meant to say was. Wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? Yes. Yes. I'm George. George McFly. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. Ugh. When you really dive into it, that seems really impactful. I mean, I'm a Back to the Future nerd, but he tells her that he's her destiny, and he's right. He is. It's so awkward and awful, but at the same time, he's right. It's very, it's awesome. It's uh, it's pretty impactful, I think. Uh, yeah, this is one of those scenes also. This would be a scene that I would pick. Um, that bedroom scene is definitely the best one. Um, <laughs> you guys and putting it in the mother. I don't. <laughs> I didn't expect this. I don't... Yeah, but it's it's just great when there's conflict like that. When 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 two things are um, riding up against each other like that and pushing against each other, it's wonderful. It's like a tornado. It's like a tornado of perfection. Yeah. <laughs> And I, th- I think as a kid, too, that I always, like, overlooked the sort of mom-son bond and was just like, <laughs> just go for it, dude. 
So I remember also watching Howard the Duck at the same time. As a kid, you were telling this TV screen to go for it. I was like, just go for it, dude. I've seen her in Howard the Duck. She's pretty fucking hot. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. I've seen her in Howard the Duck. Just nail her. It's, oh, my God. It's awful. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, but we're only 500 years away from incest being totally normal. Yeah, what are you talking coming. about? Like, what? back. If he went 500 years further back in time. <laughs> anyway, Marty fucks it up. He does his cool skateboard scene. He manages to get Biff and his gang to say shit before being piled on with shit the shit pile with being shit piled into that nice new car and he 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 gets his mom so hot for him that she follows him home where does he live her friend says i don't know but i'm gonna find out and she follows him home and asks him to the fucking dance instead of george like he doesn't he's stupid he doesn't get (laughs) how to do this is that also when he like he steals like one of those like push push scooters from a kid yeah. and like takes everything off except for yeah. the skateboard part. Yeah, he basically invents skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And she interrupts him and Doc, but you know, Doc's showing him the model and he's always apologizing for the crudity of his models. Let me show you my plan for sending you home. Please excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. It's good. Oh thank you, thank you. Except it, yeah, I think it's also crudeness. I don't think crudity is a word. Except, well, okay, fine. Did he does he say crudeness or does he say crudity? Crudity, but I I like it. All right, okay. I thought I did that in my wine drink stat instead of Doc, but we're on the same team. That's great. But I think it's funny because if you look at the details, like if you look really closely at the model, he's got a lot of crazy details. It's built to scale, also. <laughs> yeah, like perfectly to scale. It's, yeah, he's he's got he's got bushes made out of paintbrush bristles. Like he's yeah, he's he's gone the extra mile here. It's like he, it's like the town model in Beetlejuice. Like that's fantastic. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. But he keeps apologizing. He does that throughout the entire trilogy. Please excuse the crudity of the. It's great. Marty tries starts trying to tell Doc about the future. He starts trying to tell him about what's going to happen to him in the future. And Doc wants none of it. He's not interested in hearing about what's going to happen to him. And, you know, Lorraine interrupts and says, you know, I think a man should be able to protect the woman that he loves and asks him to the dance. And what is Marty's answer to this? What is his plan that he concocts? Uh, He's going to take advantage of his mother. Right. And George is going to take care of business right andrew thank you he's gonna he's gonna attempt rape on his mother that's his plan (laughs) yeah that's his big plan that he comes up with i'm gonna take advantage of her she wants you to dip it deep buddy and this is your plan (laughs) to give it to her oh please both of you talk about the effectiveness of this he couldn't yeah he couldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't matter because she sounds like a real like dyed in the wool slut so like He's going to go, he's going to try and get all hot and heavy with her and try and be a little rapey. And she's just going to be like, finally. (laughs) It is about time. (laughs) Exactly. 
or it just backfires and she just like goes after him mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he ends up getting raped. But the wisdom cycle makes another appearance. As he's explaining the plan to George, he is transplanting Doc's wisdom into his father's brain. Mm. I wish I wasn't so scared. George, there's nothing to be scared of. All it takes is a little self-confidence. You know, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. There it is. Takes a little self-control. Or sorry, a little self-confidence. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And there's some great moments here with this plan that's destined for failure as we enter into the prestige. This plan has some real density to it. Right. It's it's a plan that's destined for failure and twisted by fate and changes history. It's heavy. It's It contains one of the greatest, if not the greatest, knockout punch in movie history. Your thoughts on that statement? George McFly knocking out Biff Tannen, the greatest knockout punch in movie history. It's a real David and Goliath. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. It could be. It could be. Maybe not. There's a lot of great punches in movies and knockout moments, but I think that this is epic. It's got because to, it's gotta be up there. It, it, yeah, it for sure. It turns it the page. It turns the page to Act Three, in my opinion. It it launches into the prestige because it changes everything. Now you just need the kiss to seal the deal. That's it. You've you've changed history by changing the Biff and George relationship. It's pretty epic. Hey, you, get your damn hands off. Oh, I think you got the wrong car, McFly. George, help me, please. Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and beat it. No, Biff. You leave her alone. Yeah, that's the moment where George decides that he's going to be a different person. Yeah, his balls drop. Yeah. yeah. And now we enter into Andrew's favorite part where Marty's scrambling around trying to resolve the problem, but George is doing it for him. What the hell are you doing to my car? Hey, beat it, spook. This don't concern you. Who are you calling spook, Peckerwood? Hey, hey, listen, guys. Look, I don't want to mess with no reefer addicts, okay? Get home to your mama, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit uh it's a little bit racist. Yeah, the spook reefer addicts, yeah. 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 Good thing Marty can play the guitar and help make the kiss happen. So not only does Marty invent skateboarding, he then helps invent the blues? Well, the Johnny B. Good performance is one of my criticisms of Back to the Future. I think for some people, it's like a big moment. It's like a big YouTube clip, you know? But, And I do like how it connects to the beginning of the movie with the band part of it. Because his band gets rejected to play at the dance. And his dad tells him about the headaches and the aggravation. <laughs> But in the end, Marty gets to play at the dance. Just not the one yeah. he thought that he would get to play at. Yeah, Fish Under the Sea dance. Yeah. If I was doing the three acts, it would be like uh, Broken Amp, 
rejection <laughs> rejection at the dance hall and then you know he gets to play for real rock star asshole asshole <laughs> broken amp that's 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 the pull from the first act ah <laughs> oh, that's fun though please come forward with any other act names may have oh that was it that was it yeah I, the part of the Johnny B. Good performance that bothers me is the lip syncing. I don't like that. That's the part that turns me off. I mean, there's mm. the there's the racist part of it too, which is that he's well, ripping yeah. he's ripping off Chuck Berry, and, <laughs> and Marvin Berry's like, "Hey, Chuck, listen to this," meaning that well, Chuck wouldn't have written it himself. He's not really himself. ripping him off more than he's just playing his music, you know? Right, but Chuck doesn't make. Johnny Be Good until 1959. So are you yeah. telling me that he wrote it in 1955? That's a fun conversation because Chuck Berry could be like, "What the fuck? I just wrote that." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it, could... all, it works out in the end because he's just basically like, if he, if you know, because they make it seem like he steals this, yeah. but he's just stealing his his own music, so it's fine. But the truth is that Marty stole it from Chuck and then made it seem like Chuck stole it from Marty, which is pretty racist. Oh yeah. oh yeah, that's that's the point people usually bring up about appropriation or whatever. Yeah. But in the end, it's just Chuck stealing it from himself. He just doesn't know that. Like like Chuck Berry wasn't good enough to make his own music. Like he needed a white kid from 1985 to give him a hit. No. Well, mean, you know, he it's just like Doc. You know, he would have created time travel on his own, but he gets a little jump start by Marty coming back and telling him about it. So he didn't like steal it from Chuck. He just like gave him his own music earlier. Fair enough. It is important to note as a trivia side fact that Chuck Berry was actually named by a Billboard poll as the most promising R&B artist of the year in 1955. Mm. The whole living room rug exchange is cute, but it's also a little uncomfortable. And the purpose of the whole scene is to cement the Doc Brown wisdom being transplanted into George because he says specifically... Thanks for all your great advice. I will never forget it to Marty. So there's the full circle on Doc Brown's wisdom being transplanted mm-hmm. into George's head about if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything, which leads to him to being a successful author in 1985. And that is about it. But I would like to ask again, is Marty stupid? No, well. After trying to tell Doc about the future writing him a letter to warn him, trying to talk to him. He realizes he can use the DeLorean to save Doc and gives himself... Ten minutes. Thank That's you. That's enough. Thank you, Andrew. That's enough. That's enough. Isn't that enough? Hey, save someone from Libyan terrorists. You give yourself ten minutes. Daniel, what do that's you think? That's more than enough. You think that's enough? He's a, a man of efficiency. He's like, <laughs> ten minutes, that's more than enough time. Andrew, you know, who, you Andrew, know who's ten... a reefer addict? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, seriously, is 10 minutes enough to stop a, t- a Libyan terrorist assassination? Come well, on. Well, if really? you have a DeLorean. Dig into this, guys. Go. Well, he got affected by all that spook music, so now he's... Uh... <laughs> he's been disarmed. He's been disarmed by the 50s. <laughs> Barry Brothers. I think 10 minutes was a lot longer amount of time in the 50s. Oh, adjust for inflation. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. Oh my god, I can't handle it. I'm like, that's one of the you know, the major flaws of Back to the Future is that Marty could have given himself way more time. I mean, it's great, you know, Doc read the letter or whatever. 
and pieced it together somehow. He ripped that shit into several pieces. That letter looks whole to me when Doc shows it to him. Oh, it's like taped. He's taped it back together. Yeah, it's almost like laminated. It's so fully taped. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. It could have looked a little rougher, in my opinion. Is it because he doesn't know where Doc is until that moment? So it wouldn't have mattered if he had gone back earlier because he was like, where the hell is he? Hmm. Right. Ah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, you don't really know if he's anywhere near Twin Pines Mall prior to that. That's actually the most logical response I've heard. And there is no, like, distance jumping with Doc's DeLorean, right? It is always that exact point in place, but just changing time. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be able to go back to, like, 1985 Libya. (laughs) No. And find Doc. No, he he transports back in time on the street that he was driving on when he hit 88 miles per hour. Actually, that's really positive feedback, to be honest. That's great. Um, but yeah, he returns home and Doc's, you know, got a bulletproof vest on. Everything's fine. Everything's fixed. George is a successful author. Lorraine is not a liar or a drunk. Dave is wearing a suite to quote unquote the office instead of McDonald's. Linda is wearing nicer clothes. Doesn't establish what she does other than. No, eat. she's just a big whore now. She has she's, like all these dudes calling yeah. her. <laughs> she's got multiple boyfriends and she's eating breakfast. That's all we know about her. And she's wearing nicer clothes. Uh, Biff is waxing the car and he's a pussy now. He's a mm-hmm. fucking weak asshole. And Dog returns from the future and they set up the sequel. And that... And Marty gets the douche truck. Yeah, right. Yeah, they introduce the Toyota. Look at that 4x4. Can you imagine uh, taking that up to the lake? Yeah, in an alternate universe later on in the movie, for sure. Uh, I wanted that truck when I was... A- you wanted that truck? You didn't want the DeLorean? Well, I also yeah. wanted the DeLorean. Okay. You kind of had that truck, actually. Close. <laughs> yeah. It was close. have the big KC lights and shit on it. It was, it was close. You got, like, the pussy version. You got the Biff version. I got, like, the, the basic model. You got the basic version of that truck. That's what you got. And that's it. They, you know, they uh, there's a problem with the kids 30 years from now, and they jump in the Mr. Fusion DeLorean and take off to the future, and that's setting up Back to the Future 2. That's... That's Back to the Future. That's the preach. Does he also is this? Does he wake his girlfriend up? Is that no? That's the at the movie? end. That's at the end of uh, number three. He leaves her on the porch in number two and picks her up in the end of number. Gotcha. Elizabeth Shue really didn't inherit a great role. <laughs> no. Some no. of some of two. She she's involved in number two, but she's absent for number three, except for the end. And I'll make a few summary points about. Uh, just some just some factoid trivia type stuff about Back to the Future. I find it fun that um, Michael J. Fox, th- this is how huge Back to the Future is. He says that strangers still call him McFly constantly. And the most remarkable instance he discovered was he was in a remote jungle in South Asian, in South Asia, in, in a country called Bhutan located between China and India in the eastern Himalayas. And a group of Buddhist monks passed him. And one of them said, Marty McFly. Yeah. <laughs> that's how ridiculous Back to the Future is. Yeah, that's like one of those situations where like some like, you know, weary traveler like probably had some aged Back to the Future VHS and his travel stuff. And he like left it at this Buddhist temple. <laughs> right? Something like that. It's crazy. And infamously, this is one of the only movies 
or the only movie that I know that is this way is that Zemeckis and Bob Gale uh, have it written into their contracts that Back to the Future cannot be rebooted or remade without their authorization, and they will not give it until in they will not give it in their lifetime. So they will have to die, and the estate will have to give it for it to ever happen. Which is it's awesome, you know. Like I'm not saying that yeah. because I'm a fan of Back to the Future. I'm saying that because that's cool that they have that written in their contracts. And I wish that more movies would have that feature. That's great. It would be nice. Yeah. And it, and it works out for them too. Cause back to the future is, is kind of one of those movies where you, you almost couldn't remake it because it's, it's like from an era and a time period of like yeah. innocence and like willingness to overlook certain things. And like everything's too like focused and raked over for like a, a straight up reboot to, to, to be accomplished so they'd have to change it somehow to accommodate the times and that would completely destroy it it would fuck me up to be honest with you i wouldn't know what to do like i would initially be like no fuck you that's fucking awful and then maybe some details would come out about it and i would start to rationalize like well maybe i should you know not be so shallow and, and ridiculous and i should at least you know watch it before i say that it's crap but uh, what if know. Zemeckis was involved? It would just be such a challenge. Well, no, he said that during his lifetime he would never authorize it. So what if? Well, what if he was involved though? What if he did? If he was involved, I'd still be back to the future I'd, four. I'd still be worried, and I'll. Yeah, he wouldn't though. They'd have to like weaken it. Bernie's him. I, uh, Andrew, mm. you and I, you, <laughs> you and I went and watched a Zemeckis movie together. We went and watched Back to the Future together. No, we went and watched The Walk. I together. know. We also went to watch Back to the Future together. I know. But I'm just telling you, like, you know, since The Walk, he made that Marwen movie about Steve Carell playing with action figures. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, what? Like, I don't trust Zemeckis anymore. Like, yeah. I, I trust 90s Zemeckis with Castaway, but I don't trust Zemeckis now. So I don't. Even if he did say yes, I'd still be worried. Right. I'd be I'd be concerned. But I'd be s- like uh be like 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 electric guitars like <laughs> and like Tom Holland comes out like Doc <laughs> Tom Holland, <laughs> fuck you, that's totally a perfect cast. <laughs> um no, I'd be I, I would just struggle the whole way. I would probably watch it and I would struggle the whole way and I'd be so just upset because I'm I'm so enchanted by Someone saying, no, this will never be remade, and it never gets remade. I'm so mm-hmm. enchanted by that idea. If they manage to never remake Back to the Future, then that is so fucking awesome. That's so perfect. That's so. I hope they never do it. I, I hope the same. In fact, I would I would rather I would I'd rather just lay how it is and be that way forever. But if they were going to return to it, I would rather Back to the Future Part 4. Everyone returns to their roles, bring Marty back. Uh, I mean, Michael J. Fox back, bring Christopher Lloyd back. Are they still alive? I think they're still alive. Yeah, they're both alive. Uh, but one of them has Parkinson. Well, that's the fact that could play into it. It could be like <laughs> a young Marty coming in and being like, <laughs> "I want to, I want to take these pills now." <laughs> I want a Parkinson's porn where Marty fucks his mom. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it exists. <laughs> um, actually, there is. There was a rumored fourth movie that. Christopher Lloyd thought was going to happen about Doc and Marty going to ancient Rome, which is, I don't know whether to believe that factoid or not. It's upsetting. But if they had continued it forever, the way they do franchises now, then yes, they just would have started yeah. just jumping back wherever they could. Yeah, they would have done it. 
In December of 2017, it was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Damn right. You know... Uh, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to say, because you brought it up, you said 90s Zemeckis, you trust. And this is phenomenal. Back to the Future 3, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump, and Contact are all his 90s movies. And Castaway. Castaway is 2000. Oh, really? I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, it's a pretty good run. I like That's all phenomenal. The, I like all of those. Yeah. Oh, Contact. <laughs> Contact's a fun idea. The idea yeah. the idea transcends the movie. And there is a lot of that movie that's you're like, "Ah, Jodie Foster, ah, lesbian." Yeah, well, you do see Jodie Foster's <laughs> exposed breast in a PG movie. That is still trips me. And it's a lesbian <laughs> breast too. It's like an untouchable breast. Right, and McConaughey's playing a priest. Yeah, you're like, McConaughey's never going to whip out his cock and go after that lesbian? What the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's upsetting. It cost Back to the Future $3 million additional to the budget to reshoot Stoltz's scenes. That's how much they wanted to fire Eric Jesus. Stoltz. $3 million in 1985, which is like a billion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, here's a very interesting thing that I didn't know. There was a deleted scene before Marty goes to meet up with Doc at Twin Pines Mall. Uh, apparently he like works out his demo reel in a deleted scene and decides not to mail it to the producer. <laughs> There's like a deleted scene where he decides not to mail off his demo tape. Yeah, that makes sense. And then so, in, yeah, the, it sucks. in the final scene where he walks out, and he talks to Dave, and Dave's like, I always wear a suit to the office. I can't keep track of all your boyfriends, Linda. You know that scene where mm-hmm. his parents come in from playing golf? He's carrying an envelope with him, and that envelope is his decision, or his implied decision, to send in the demo tape. Yeah, it was right. unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> unnecessary, but it's one of those things that like you never notice. They, like he's, They would both fit in. He's, he's carrying an envelope in those scenes, that stayed in the movie and you have no idea what the envelope means until you know about the deleted scene. Yeah, it's true. It would be funny if they like, if you put on his demo tape and it's just like five back-to-back tracks of him playing Johnny B. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that's Hey, that's a low blow. <laughs> and a few casting uh, notes that John Lithgow, Dudley Moore, Jeff Goldblum, and uh, James Woods was considered for the role of Doc Brown. Oh, for Doc Brown. Oh. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd is Doc Brown. There's no way it could be anybody. Else. That's true. Maybe Lithgow, but. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Lithgow. Maybe. But Goldblum was too young in 85 yeah, yeah. to pull that off. Uh, C. Thomas Howell. I mentioned Ralph Macchio earlier. Uh, John Cusack. All considered for Marty. I feel like Macchio, I don't think he would have been a good pick for the movie, but I feel like he would have been a good actor to be in the stable of like Zemeckis and Spielberg and stuff. He's got like a real wholesomeness. That's a good comment. And C. Thomas Howell, I think, was probably the closest because C. Thomas Howell is the Outsiders main actor. So he's the closest to Michael J. Fox, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the Biff character, Tim Robbins was apparently considered, but I don't know. Do you have uh, the Biff song? No, I don't. Okay. But I could probably sing it. <laughs> I mean, Biff Tannen, Thomas Wilson, 
Andrew's referring to his uh, comedic song that he has. Do you know about that, Andrew or Daniel? Yeah, where he, he's like in response to being constantly questioned about Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like, what is Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. What is Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. <laughs> nice <laughs> <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> nice guy. Stop asking the question. Yeah. Stuff like Please that. Please don't call me Biff. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. But there it is, number five in the pre-series, Back to the Future. Uh, I feel like I nailed this. What do you guys think? Uh, oh, yeah. On the head. On the head. <laughs> yeah, I prepared quite thoroughly for it. I wanted to do it justice. I initially thought that it should be a celebration of the entire trilogy. I quickly realized that that was not something I should pursue because the rest of the trilogy is hokey and nowhere near as tight as the first movie. It'd also be like a seven-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, if I tried to draw all the clips from those movies. And that being said, we only have to preview our next preach. So it started with Few Good Men as a neutral playing ground. It followed with election because I think we flipped a coin and it was my decision. So I chose election. And then Andrew chose American Beauty. And then Daniel chose Color Out of Space. And then it returned to me for Back to the Future. So now it is Andrew's decision. Andrew, would you like the clip to reveal what the next preach will be, or would you like to reveal it prior to the I'd like the clip to break the news. All right, sir. The next preach, the sixth installment of the Trailer Park Podcast presents preach series. Now, save your breath and curd your parts. Hey, look, she wants a heck of two roof lights. Uh, the side of frame furniture. And the uh, scar cushions with the uh, matching shack by cover. Yeah, right. It's just terrible parcel to the party with the blue bites. Have I made myself clear, bites? Yes. Snatch. <laughs> Speaking of a few knockout punches, there's a few good ones. There are some good ones. And also, that is also the most rockin' song Oasis has ever made. <laughs> Do you know what the name of that song is? Uh, I used to. No, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> it's called Fucking in the Bushes. <laughs> That's, fantastic. That's the name of that song. Uh, That's a great name. Wow. Yeah, there is an epic. It's, it's really weird, actually, because I'm sitting here saying the most epic knockout punch in movie history with the context of what it means to Bad of the Future, sure. But Snatch has a fucking crazy knockout punch scene in it. So it's very strange. And is that, that's like the running theme? The yeah. Movie I got to pick. It's got to have like a wicked knockout scene in it. It's, <laughs> it's just really bizarre that... You know, I make that statement for the Back to the Future preach, and uh, Snatch yeah. has and a, then I, a I challenger, <laughs> a challenger to that very uh, topic. So yeah. there it is. So with that, we uh, we bid you adieu, cool billion, and we leave you with some Huey Lewis.